Good morning. It's, uh, it's good to be with you on a holiday weekend. Uh, this is uh, when they pull out the B team, so happy to be here for B team, B team zone. Um, I send my greetings from, uh, from our church in Tribeca. Uh, our church is two blocks from uh, the World Trade Tower at, on Murray Street at the bottom of the Triangle, and uh, we had a great weekend. This, is, this weather's been amazing, right? This is a very unusual 4th of July weather where we had yesterday just a really nice breeze. Um, I took my family to the pier uh, in our neighborhood, uh, which has mini golf. And uh, it was like our 4th of July family outing. So we had our, my nine-year-old Jack, seven-year-old Lucy, and my six-month-old Leo, who's brand new. And we thought we'd take Leo to his first, first golf outing. And you're wondering what that looks like. It looks kind of like this. That's what uh, golfing with a six-month-old looks like. Um, so my, that's my wife, Kindy, and uh, this was hole one, and she got a hole-in-one on the first hole, and uh, that started this kind of like really fierce competition between the two of us, and uh, it ended with us actually tying. And uh, I looked at her, and I, I reached out my hand and said, you know, congratulations, good game on the tie. And she looked at me, and she was like, tie? What about the handicap? <laughs> I was like, that's fair enough, but actually, I'm, I'm kind of like, I, I golf a little bit, and I've seen sort of like putting kits, tools that, that look actually like what you're wearing right now that help you with your form, and so uh, I might actually need to like take a stroke away from my score, uh, and she just looked at me, and she was just like, but does it weigh 17 pounds? <laughs> I was like, good, good point. So... Um, Anyways, it's, it's been a good weekend, and uh, as I've been reflecting on what I wanted to share with you this morning, and uh, as we're reflecting on this series that uh, AJ and I are sharing about what it means to become like Jesus, I thought we'd explore what it means to love. You know, the essence of Jesus is love. It's the essence of his teaching, the essence of his way, and, uh, and it's what most of us, I would say in general, would want in our lives. We'd want to be known as a loving person. We would want to be, um, you know, at, at our eulogy, we'd want to be described as a loving person, and we want love in return. We all sort of know that that is the meaning of life, and yet there's this crazy irony that exists, which is that which we want and that which we, which we seek and that which we expect uh, is often undermined by a kind of force at work in our lives. And so I want to explore that uh, this morning. David Brooks, who is an op-ed columnist for The Times, he wrote a book on character recently. And in his book, he uh, sets up a contrast. He says there's two kinds of uh, virtues. There's resume virtues on the one hand, and there's eulogy virtues on the other. So resume virtues are the kind of skills and um, talents and gifts that you hone and that you optimize to sort of get what you want in life. And that can be a number of things, but you hone those, you uh, hone your craft, and then you offer that into the world and you present that to the world in order to get what you want. And those are good things. Those are actually beautiful things at times. But what he says is, what's interesting is, a lot of times we focus so much on the resume virtues to the neglect of the eulogy virtues, the kind of things that um, take time and energy to cultivate. They actually help us become loving human beings. And at the end of life, when someone gets up and speaks of us, these are the things we want them to say. But he says there's this crazy uh, transaction, this negotiation that happens, 
where we end up settling for the resume virtues and all our energy goes in cultivating the resume, resume virtues and we often neglect the eulogy virtues just because the tyranny of the resume is always looming. And so uh, we, we find ourselves in these precarious situations where we give ourselves to our work and we work nights and weekends or we, we, we pour ourselves maybe to the neglect of our wife or neglect of our uh, husband or our children and uh, we do it for what? We do it for what reasons? Uh, oftentimes we do it for a sense of achievement, a sense of accomplishment, a sense of success. Sometimes we do it for compensation. You know, we get the extra bonus, which gives us a little bit more ease, a little bit more comfort, maybe some of the things that we want in life. And uh, what he points out is that r- rarely, even though that's how we spend our energy, rarely would we want someone to get up at our, our funeral and say, this is what this person was like. He often neglected spouse and children to get a bonus, to have a little bit more ease in life. And so wh- what do we do in the face of that tension? How do we think of that tension? How do we pursue the way of love, which is what we all really want? I want to start by talking about the enemy of love. Love has an enemy, and it's a, it's a powerful force in the world. It's a powerful force in each of our lives. And it takes a certain shape, uh, different shapes, I should say. This is a, it's a dangerous world that we live in sometimes, and we feel the dangers. We grow up from children growing up. Uh, there are things that hurt, and there are things that cause us pain, and, and we react to that pain. We react to that hurt. Usually, it's a way out of self-protection. We try to create a safe zone in which we can get what we want in the world, and it shapes how we relate with each other. What I want to sort of present to you this morning is that all the things that sort of masquerade as love in our world, even the ways if you think of your relationships, the things that you might describe as love often are simply another force at work. And it's a force of exchange. Force of exchange. Um, our economy, our, the market is driven by this sort of economy of exchange. And uh, what I think you'll see by the end of this morning is that our relationships are often driven by the same thing. That we, in the face of pain, we have these fears, and we just try to negotiate in relationships to get the things that we really want. And it often undermines love, and it undermines the things that we actually are pursuing. So I want to give you four postures to think about, to consider as you reflect on your own life. Uh, And you'll probably find that in some of these postures, there's resonance. You really can see that at work in your life. And others you might see uh, in other people, people that you love. Uh, But I hope it'll be a helpful tool for you to sort of deconstruct maybe some of your, your relationships. So the first way I think in which we do this, we Uh, exchange, participate in this exchange economy, is we have this approach of life for you. Life for you. And each of these has a preposition to it. So life for you. What what does it mean to have the posture of life for you? You know, some of you in here are well known for being helpful. You're just really, really, really helpful. And people love that about you. Um, In fact, they, they depend on you to come through in those ways, the, to serve and to help. And often that can look and feel like love. It can look and feel uh, like care and kindness. And it's, it's often a beautiful thing. Uh, we need people like that. You probably know people in the church who have a sort of reputation for always serving and always jumping in and helping out. Um, and that seems like a beautiful thing. But when we, uh, in an exchange sort of lens, uh, one of the ways that we relate uh, in this uh, life for you posture is we actually 
use that serving and we use that helping to get a sense of control in the relationship. We use it to get a sense of worth. In other words, you sort of become addicted to helping people. You, you become addicted to that feeling of being needed. And what ends up happening is that maybe initially good desire to want to help and be of use ends up getting twisted and distorted into something unhealthy. It becomes something of a power negotiation, a power relationship. And so we all know the feeling, either we've done it or it's been done to us, where there's a kind of subtle manipulation that takes place, where someone offers something or serves, and then they end up either overextending themselves because they can't say no, or they burn out because they can't say no, and uh, they end up feeling resentful. Uh, they feel underappreciated. And there again, you see this crazy irony where the very thing you want, which is to help people and to feel valuable, ends up undermining the reality and the, and the experience of love. And so when you are in this zone of my life for you or my relationship for you, when you're in that posture, one of the challenges, one of the exchanges you make is you exchange help for a sense of worth. You, you exchange health for, or help for worth. Now, I, I, this isn't my, my default lens, but I definitely find myself in this zone sometimes. So this, this last week, uh, I was uh, actually a couple weekends ago, I was home and I was present, fully present, like phone. I wasn't checking Instagram or email or th those kind of things. My wife had like thoroughly uh, invited me to put that away. Um, and so I was present, present with my, my kids, present with my wife. And uh, I was on my way to an errand. So I'm leaving uh, our apartment, and the thought occurs to me, uh, as I'm reflecting on all this energy I'm pouring out into my family, the thought occurs to me, hey, some of my best friends in the world right now are at a place that's like my favorite place to hang out. And they invited me uh, to go there, and that's where they are now, but I'm choosing uh, to spend my time with my family, to run errands and do things that need to be done. And uh, you ever say something? that then you wish you could just sort of just pull it right back in right away. I, I, on my way out, I just, just casually dropped that information to my wife. Um, hey, sweetheart, you know, uh, these, these folks are out hanging out at this place. And uh, they invited me, but, um, but I said no. And she just looked at me like, okay, and? <laughs> you know, like, why are you telling me this? And then I thought to myself, why am I telling you this? Um, and... I, I realize in that moment, one of the reasons I'm doing it is because I want to feel appreciated. You know, there's a sense, it, it struck me that there's a sense of sacrifice I'm making here, and I want to feel appreciated. And uh, I wanted to put that information out there to sort of get some kind of affirmation or some kind of appreciation. And that kind of stuff really undermines trust in relationships. It undermines motivations, and uh, it ends up giving us, uh, delivering uh, under-delivering on what it promises. So that's one, one posture, life uh, for you. Another posture that relationships can take is life under you. Some of you in here, uh, you really, really like to keep the peace. You just, you know, you find yourself in relationships sort of going with the flow. Um, if somebody has a really strong opinion about where to eat lunch, you're not going to get in the way of that. It might not be your first preference, but why make a fuss over it? Uh, you tend to merge with people in groups. Like, so if this person is, has a strong opinion about that, you kind of merge with that opinion and you sit with it for a while. 
And then you find yourself in another group, merging with maybe an opposite kind of opinion. You're the kind of person who can see all sides. And so you, people experience you as very agreeable. People experience you as uh, just a sort of peacemaker. And uh, you're very content in moments like these to sort of be under under the influence of another relationship, under the influence of a person, under the influence of a group, because you find a sense of security in it. You don't like to have to be in charge or to make all the, the calls, and it, it just helps you to go with the flow, because at the core, you, you have this desire to be unaffected by life. And it actually, it takes all the, the sort of courage and energy to just step out and say what you actually think sometimes. Uh, or to step up and maybe speak against the grain, or to, to point out something that's difficult to point out. Those are things that you generally run from. And so when you have this life under you uh, framework, when you're operating in that zone, it can feel like love. You know, this person just really gets along, and they get along with all these different kinds of people. I don't see how they do it. Um, and they can seem like peacemakers, and in fact, they are. They can see all sides, usually. But the challenge is, they often are left wondering themselves, who am I really? What do I want, really? Does my presence really matter in this relationship? Does it really matter in this community? And some of you live with that fear in your relationships. You live with that fear in communities that you're a part of. And it's because you have this life under you mentality. Again, there's strengths to it, but it often undermines the very thing that you want. When you do a life under you uh, posture, you exchange control for peace, because what you're after, your interest is peace, and so you're willing to exchange control for peace. Another posture is life uh, from you, life from you. So when you have a life from you perspective, you kind of view your relationships as uh, extraction projects. Um, you look at a, a person and you say, I need this person's recognition or I need their um, good opinion of me uh, or I, maybe you have, they have something that you need or that you want. And so you relate to sort of get what you want. Now, people who do this are usually super agile culturally. They can like bounce in different zones and become different people in different zones. They're the chameleons. Um, this is one of the lenses that I wrestle with probably most acutely. Um, people who have this life from you can usually walk into a room, read a crowd, figure out what the room wants or what people want generally, and they can sort of present themselves or fashion themselves in a desirable manner. Uh, Instagram or Facebook, these are the worst platforms for these kind of people. It's just all fashioning, all persona. And uh, what happens, that's a, a strength in that you can kind of work your way up quickly in an organization or you can work your way in to likability in a relationship. But the challenge there is often there's a divorce between persona and perception and reality. And one of the, the, the troubles is deception, the problem of deception. Um, you constantly are spinning and hyping in order to be successful in this relationship or in that situation. And eventually it, it disintegrates trust. Uh, it disintegrates trust and you are left wondering, do I have any worth in and of myself or is my worth just always tied to my achievements, to my accomplishments or what people think of me? And so you could even seem very loving. You can seem super likable. You can seem super successful. But underneath, you're making an exchange. And that exchange is authenticity for recognition. 
The final uh, posture that I'd, I'd like to share with you is a posture that would be like life over you. And uh, if we have any strong, strong leaders in the room, this is often the posture that we can take. Um, and this is usually a, a great strength. You can get stuff done. Uh, you can drive organizations forward. Uh, you can make tough calls when they're needed to be made. But there's, a, there's also another strength, which is you usually use your strength for good causes. Um, so if you see a vulnerable case or person or community, you often find yourself working for justice or standing in the gap or wanting to benefit them. But the challenge is, for people who do the life over you approach, they often find there's a lot of collateral damage in their lives. They often find that they step on people, maybe they push people out to get in, or they push people down to get up, and they find themselves with a lot of hurt and pain. Usually pretty early on, people who have the life over you approach, they decided that people aren't reliable, people aren't trustworthy, they fear being betrayed, and so they just take matters in their own hands, they close things off, and they push forward. And when you have this mentality, what you're making an exchange, the exchange is intimacy for a sense of power. So no one really knows you. No one, uh, you never put yourself in a position where you really have to rely on other people or take risks or make yourself vulnerable. Uh, you sort of close off in those ways and you charge forward. And it hurts. It hurts to be in relationship sometimes with a person like that. And so I want to ask the question, in light of these different postures, how can we... How can we get out of the cycle? You know, if, if you resonate toward one of those, how can you break the cycle of that posture that actually undermines what you're actually after in this life? And that's what I want to share with you this morning. There's a text out of 1 John where John, who's known as Jesus' beloved disciple, is reflecting on love and reflecting on how a different way has come into the world in Jesus Christ and has turned everything completely upside down. All these exchange ways that we relate, he's challenged it and turned it upside down. I want to read this text to you. Consider uh, these words from John. He's reflecting on love. He says this. He says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. And this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. And then he goes on to say, God is love. Again, it's a remarkable statement. Whoever lives in love lives in God, and God in them. And this is how God is made complete among us, so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we're like Jesus. There's no fear in love, <clears throat> but perfect love drives out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. And the one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God and yet hates a brother or a sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. 
And he's given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and their sister. Now, what's interesting about these postures relationally that undermine love is that we can take those same postures that we sort of take on with one another and we can relate to God out of them as well. And so we find ourselves doing life for God and we have this sense of like having to get God under control by doing things for him. Or we have this life of life from God where we just see God as this big sort of cosmic slot machine in the sky and we just put in whatever token we need to put in, a faith token, a giving token or whatever, pull the lever and we get what we really want in the world. Or we can view God as uh, sort of over us, an authoritarian sort of perspective where most of our religious motivation or spiritual motivation is out of fear, fear of punishment, fear of shame, fear of guilt. Um, And we can do it uh, as life uh, under God, where uh, we just simply always are giving giving up, always uh, surrendering, but it's usually to get something in return. It's usually to have a sense of worth, and it's not out of love for God. And so in the midst of all of that, John says, a different way breaks forward in Jesus Christ. And this is why this is why I'm a follower of Jesus, because I find Jesus so compelling. Uh, I came to faith as a teenager. My parents came to faith um, and became followers of Jesus when uh, they were in their 40s. And um, part of the reason that, that tilted us was love, this love that we found in Jesus Christ. We read his, his teaching, we looked at his way, and it was unlike anything that we had seen before, anything that we had tasted. And we were about up to here with all the exchange approaches to, to relationships. And we were really open for a different perspective. And so what I want to explore with you is sort of three things that change when you start to taste this love in Jesus Christ. When you start to see it and to behold it, it changes your relationship to three things at least. The first is, it changes your relationship to the other or to others. Rather than seeing other people as a sort of tool to get your interests forward or to get your agenda forward in the world, you start to begin to see others in a different lens. You see them with compassion. You start to see them as people with dignity and value. And when it comes to this, this question of what is love, and we're thinking through this first thing that it changes, this issue of the other, Think about how, I want you to picture an image in your head right now of a person. Could be anyone, anyone in your life, anyone that you're associated with. Now, as you're seeing that person in your mind's eye, I want you to ask the question, does this person advance what I care about in the world most or what I want in the world most? Do they help me get what I want in this world? Now, the way you answer that question, often in an exchange economy, it it determines your posture. So if they are important to your interest, then you usually are investing in that relationship. You you care for it deeply, you nourish it, and you invest a lot of energy. Um, If maybe they don't have factor in any way to what you want in this world, uh, in that case, usually you find yourself ignoring those kinds of people. And there's a pain to that. There's a pain to knowing what it feels like to be ignored. Then there's the third, which is if someone feels like maybe they don't they're not only advancing your interests or they're not ignore, uh, they don't factor at all, but they actually get in your way, right? They're actually holding you back or threatening your interests. Uh, what is our response then? It's usually a, re- a response of violence. 
Either we push them down to get up, we push them out to get in, or we experience their blockage as a sort of hurt or wound and we try to pay back. And in any case, this is our, our sort of relationship to the other in that economy of exchange. But Jesus changes all of that because Jesus comes into a world where a, a world where people are in this vicious cycle of exchange relationships and they do all kinds of collateral, we have all kinds of collateral damage. We are people who have in many ways made so many mistakes that we just turn away. We try to take control of our own lives. We often do not try to, to love God or rely on God with our lives. And yet God pursues us. The scripture says that even when we were enemies or even when we were uh, rebellious or even when we were just trying to go our own way, God still pursued us. And so when we look at Jesus Christ, we see a different relationship to the other. Not someone who looks, sizes up humanity and says, you know what? Uh, they've all run away or run from me and now I feel really needy so I'm just going to go after them. That's not God's posture. Nor does he just say, you know what? That was, that was bad luck, or that was a bad turn in events. So I'm just going to move on to something else and ignore us. He doesn't do that. He doesn't retaliate and say, you know what? That hurt when you took control of your own life and you tried to do it a different way and you completely ignored my wisdom or my design. That hurt, and so I'm going to pay back. What we see in Jesus Christ is a different posture altogether. It's the secret to the mystery of the universe, which is God is love. God is boundless love, unconditional love. And so when we ask the question, what is love? John says, look at God because God is love. And Jesus would often say, if you want to know God, look at me. Because if you've seen me, you've seen God. I and God are one. And so when we look at the life of Jesus, we see this on display. Jesus always on the spectrum of the other moving toward them, even when they don't have any benefit for him. And so a litmus test you can ask when you think of your relationship to others, whether it's genuinely love or it's just perhaps an exchange type thing, is do you relate to people or do you invest in relationships that have no direct sort of advance for your interests in the world? Do you have relationships that you pursue, that you maintain, that you invest in, that don't move your agenda forward in the world? It's one of the great litmus tests of whether your relationships are truly of love or not. Another uh, issue that this love that we see in Jesus changes is our relationship to boundaries. Now, this is one of the reasons I fell in love with Jesus in the first place. I would read the Gospels, and I would see him doing crazy stuff. Um, he would take someone like a, a zealot who would be a, a violent antagonist to the government, and he would pull the zealot in, and at the same time, he would take a, a tax collector, uh, the sort of like most hated government employee, and pull them in. And then he would form a community where these two different kinds of people with two different pol political ideologies and two different instincts about what's right and what's wrong, he would put them in the same community and he would teach them to see one another. He would teach them to understand one another. He would teach them to love one another. Jesus was constantly doing stuff like that that tipped the exchange economy upside down. And it caused a lot of problems. People who had stake in these boundaries, they hated Jesus. All of the religious leaders, 
uh, who led in the subgroups of Judaism, the political leaders, Pontius Pilate, um, they were threatened by the way Jesus crossed boundaries. And when you and I, we're in exchange mode, we, we often create walls and they feel like they protect us in the face of danger. But what Jesus shows us is that love tears down those walls. Love tears down walls uh, between people. He tears down walls between groups. One of the early uh, sort of like movements in the, in, the, in the church, the early church, as that movement around Jesus was getting traction, you had these two distinct groups, Jews and Gentiles, who were coming together around significant cultural differences. And they were learning what it means to be in community with one another. They were learning what it means to love one another even when we aren't alike. And that's what love, the love we see in Jesus teaches us. It teaches us that the way to safety in this world is not by sort of just forming lines around uh, the safety of similarity. So we create community around race or we create community around class or around geography or around political ideology or around religious ideology. And then we, we make those walls really big and firm and we have this relationship of antagonism perhaps with other groups. Jesus invites us to transform the way we think about boundaries. He invites us into the way of genuine love, which ultimately is tearing down at those boundaries. Now, it's a risky thing to do this. It's actually quite hard. And one of my favorite TED Talks in the world is by a, a lady named Brené Brown, and she often talks about the power of vulnerability. And she says that in order for there to be any real connection with another human being, there has to be some measure of vulnerability. You have to take some risk and let someone in, and that is, that is precarious. And so she says, most of the time, we, just, we, we really are busy protecting ourselves and creating walls. And then the, thing, the, pay, the cost that we pay is we feel disconnected. People don't really know who we are. We, loot. we don't have a real sense of intimacy. We do this with people. We do this with God. And Jesus shows us that love crosses boundaries. It tears down walls. And it creates a situation where you and I can be truly vulnerable. And we can take real risks with relationship because we have this beautiful safety net of God's love in the world. So it changes our relationship to boundaries. And then lastly, it changes our relationship to gifts. Before I get to gifts, I want to ask a question. You can know uh, whether or not you're really living in the way in, of love by how you manage boundaries. And so I just simply ask this question just for reflection this week, maybe today and the rest of this week. Think about your relationships right now what boundaries shape your relationships? What boundaries exist? And what boundaries might Jesus be inviting you to cross in the way of love? What, what boundaries would you cross that might feel risky? They might feel, it might feel really vulnerable for you to cross that. I think that's, those are provocative questions that lead us into the way of love. Finally, gifts. In an exchange economy, Gifts are seen as goods usually. So my son had a birthday recently, a couple, couple weekends ago. Uh, we did a surprise uh, flash mob water gun party for him. It was epic. Um, and uh, we, we actually tried to short circuit the gift giving process because we were always in this, pro uh, we do calculations and we don't mean to, we're not like, we're not always intentionally trying to participate in the exchange thing, but you know, you get gifts and then you're always like doing calculations. Okay, what did they give us last year? And so when we have this birthday party, what do we give them? And you're always trying to like keep it at even. 
That's usually how we approach gifts. And what we see in Jesus Christ is a gift with no strings attached. It's a gift that is truly a gift, not a good. It's not something that you, uh, you have to offer payment for. It's not something you have to pay back. It is something that is pure, unadulterated gift. And in Jesus Christ, in the language of the New Testament, that's how Jesus is painted. We have these phrases, God so loved the world, John 3.16, that he gave his son. God shows his love for us and that while we're still sinners, Christ dies for us. And this is how God showed his love for us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might have life through him. Here's three moments in the New Testament where we see Jesus Christ as gift. And that changes the way we relate to other people. It changes the, the capacity that we have to love even when it hurts, to take risks even when it hurts, to be vulnerable even when it hurts. What we have in Jesus Christ is the source of love. We have this inexhaustible, immeasurable uh, reality of love that we can access. And so I had someone actually after the first service pull me aside and say, what do I do when I'm just at my limit? Because I often have good intentions and I'm aware of these postures. And then, but when I'm trying to counteract the postures, what do I do when I just am at my end and I don't know if I can do it anymore? And uh, I was like, that's a great question. It's a question that I feel very vividly. And yet I look at the life of Jesus. And as John says in our text, in this world, we are like Jesus. And in our teaching series, we're learning about what it means to become like Jesus. How did Jesus respond to these sort of limitations? You see Jesus at the end of the day when people are lined up looking for healing and looking for wisdom. Uh, at the end of the day, he hits a point where he goes, you know what? We can't do anymore. I need to get away. And you find, he finds himself getting away into the hillside or into the mountainside. And he spends time cultivating intimacy with God. Not life for God or life from God or life over God or life under God, but life with God. Jesus knew the power of with. And the power of with with God helped him know the power of with with his disciples and with the world. And you and I need the same. We need to discover the power of with. We have to have spaces and practices in our life where we can access this immeasurable, inexhaustible, unconditional love that we see in Christ. And so I ask you, how can you transcend the boundaries of the exchange relationships? How can you live into the way of love? You have to have practices in your life where you can receive the love of God. Some of you here this morning may have never had a sort of pivotal moment in life where you tasted and saw the love that we see in Jesus Christ in a way that changed your life, in a way that completely altered the course of it and made you want to become a follower of this love that we see in Jesus. And so this morning, I would simply invite you to consider Jesus, to behold him, to, to investigate his teachings, to look at his way and to behold the love that's there and to put yourself in a position to receive it, to simply open your life, open your heart and receive that love and say, if you can change my relationships from these exchange nightmares into something beautiful, I'll have it. Some of you have, you've been walking with Jesus, following Jesus for some time. And I think maybe the invitation for you is to look at your life and say, do I have space, regular space, where I can receive what I need from God to be who I need to be for other people? Do you create that space? And what does that look like for you? It can take all kinds of shapes. But often we just get, we start going with the flow and life gets busy and hectic and we have great intentions, but 
our intentions are undermined by a lack of formation. And so I invite you this morning to consider where you're creating space to receive the love of God so that you can love your brother and your sister and your mother and your father and your son and your daughter and your neighbor as yourself. Let's pray. Lord, we ask right now that you would give us the grace we need to take steps toward love. God, we ask for uh, insight into our lives that maybe we uh, couldn't have on our own that you could give us this morning. And more than anything, we pray that you'd give us a sense of invitation, that we would somehow hear your voice, that we'd somehow uh, sense what you're calling us to this week, a key practice or a key decision. And Lord, would you continue to mold us into the image of Jesus? Teach us what it means to be a real human being. We pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.